Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Well, last week, if you were here, we began a brand new series called Wisdom. And we found out that Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. And therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting of wisdom, receive understanding. So wisdom and understanding are twins. What's wisdom? Wisdom is knowing exactly what to do and, and how to go about it. And we discovered all the way through the Bible that the heroes of the faith all had one thing in common. They had a special wisdom from God. No matter, no matter who you are or what you do, whether you're a parent, whether you're in the marketplace, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a plumber, whether you're a builder, whether you're a business owner, whatever you do today, you need wisdom. And we discovered last week that God says in Proverbs, the Lord gives wisdom. He wants you to have it. It's your portion. Because it will save you years of bad decision making. Wrong decisions that can cost you dearly in the long run if you don't have God's wisdom in your life. The blue pill or the red pill? Which one do I take? Which... Which decision do I make, Lord? What car do I buy? What, where do I live? What job do you want me to have? The wisdom of God is just so vital for all of us. And you know, this morning I, wanna, I want to, we, we're going to begin to look at how wisdom simplifies our lives, not complicates it. That when you have wisdom, there's a simplifying process that goes on. But in the simplifying process, friends, I don't want to pretend that it's easy to simplify your life. How many can agree to that? You, you take a quick snapshot at your life even in the last three months. There's some complications going on. There's some things that aren't just plain simple. And wisdom has the ability to simplify things down. You see, we all live in a completely different world to last century. I was born back last century. <laughs> but the world we live in from the 60s and 70s of last century is a completely different world to what we live in now. We live in a fast-paced, fast-moving society. We live in a society that is a marketing machine. We live in a society where everybody wants a piece of you. And you're going to need wisdom to focus your life. You're going to need wisdom to say no to certain things. You're going to need wisdom to target things that God has placed as priorities for your life. And if you don't have the wisdom, you know what the opposite of being a, being a wise person is? <laughs> a fool. <laughs> You're just a fool if you haven't got wisdom. Who wants to be a fool? Unfortunately, the Bible has a lot to say about fools. And when we read the pages, we think, yep, been there, 
done that. I've done some pretty foolish things in my life, amen. So that's the heart and that's the angle that we're coming from. And today I want to talk to you about an issue that is so relevant to all of us. I believe every single person under the sounding of this message today, this message is relevant for your life because I want to talk to you about overcoming depletion in your life. I want to talk to you about how to replenish your soul. You see, to have wisdom means that there's a decluttering of our soul that's got to take place. Declutter. There's too much clutter that's going on on the inside. And you know what happens when we've got too much clutter on the inside? This is what happens. We can't hear the one voice that we need to hear above every other voice. We can't hear the whisper of God because we're running too fast. We're too distracted. We've got too much stuff on. And in the process of not decluttering, we make some bad decisions. And today, wisdom, such a beautiful thing. Wisdom with joined with understanding, suddenly light bulb moments happening in your heart. Ah, I get it, God. I understand what you're, what you're saying to me. And you've been trying to say this to me for a long time, but I haven't been in the place. My soul life has, my inner life has had too much stuff going on that I haven't been able to hear. Simplified living today. The word simplify means making something simpler or easier to do or to understand. Very simple, really. And so by examining the core issues that lead us away from a simple life, that lead us into those danger zones, those red zones, where we're so cluttered that we can't be led, we can't be directed, we can't be spoken to, we can't be rebuked, we can't be corrected because we've got so much clutter in our lives. It's gone very quiet in this Methodist church this morning. Hallelujah. So we want, you know, Jesus promised us, Jesus said, the thief has come. John 10.10, the thief. Who's the thief? The devil, the devil has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But he said, I've come that you might have life and a more abundant life. So the, God's plan is for abundant living. So what wisdom will teach us is what's been robbing you of an abundant life. What's been robbing you of an abundant life? So we're going to zone in on a whole lot of topics. We're going, to, we're going to talk about the wisdom to go from brokenness to wholeness. We're going to talk about wisdom, the wisdom that takes us from chaos into order. And this morning we're going to talk about the wisdom that takes us from depletion to replenishment. Whoa, who loves that word? Replenish. Replenish. Even the sound of the word, as we say it, we think, I need more replenishment in my soul. You know, Christine brought uh, the parable of the ten virgins, and I was really struck by it at our prayer meeting this week. 
And this is clearly a parable where Jesus categorizes the fools and the wise. And let's just read a bit of it. We're only going to read part of it. But he says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven, what time? The time of his return. The kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. They're all saved. They're all believers. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Here we go. They're all believers. Some of them ain't so wise. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. Depleted. Empty. No juice in the tank. However you want to phrase it today, they didn't have what they needed to have. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. And the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Five foolish, five wise. Why were the fools fools? Because they had all the equipment, but they had no oil to shine their lights. Can I put it to you another one? They all had the Holy Spirit, but they had no relationship and they couldn't shine for Jesus because they were depleted and empty. Kind of rubs a bit of salt into the wound a little bit, doesn't it? If we're on the depleted side of the equation. And of course, the story goes on to say that the bridegroom was a long time. They all got drowsy, they fell asleep, and suddenly there was a great shout at the midnight hour. And they all woke up and they were kind of disorientated. But the ones who were wise, they were prepared, they were replenished, they were ready to go. When God said go, they were ready to go. They were ready to move with the Holy Spirit. And they got up, they lit their lamps, they could find a pathway ahead of them because they had light radiating out of their lamp. But the foolish, however, were all stumbling around in the dark. At the time that God needed them most, they were all walking around in circles because they were living in the dark. They were depleted. And thus the Bible says and categorizes them as a fool. I'll never call anyone a fool. But I tell you what the Bible does many, many times over in our lives. I don't know if this sounds familiar to any of you, but how many times have you missed some of the most important moments in your life because you were depleted? Right at a time where God wants you to step up, you can't because you've got no energy, you've got no wherewithal, you've got no spirit life, you're striving in your own strength. And right when God says, I need you, you've got no oil in your lamp. You've got no energy in your bucket. You're depleted. So let's see what else Jesus had to say on the topic. And there's a great story in the Bible mentioned in a couple of the Gospels. And uh, you might remember a phrase from the Scripture, Luke 10.40 says, Tell her to help me. (laughs) All right. We may not have said it, folks. How many times have you thought it? Tell them to help me. Why can't they just get off their bum? 
Why does it always seem to be me doing all the work around here? You see, Jesus had hundreds of followers. He had 12 disciples, three, Peter, James, and John, he spent quality time with. But you know what? He also had three friends, very close friends. Very close friends are the ones that you spend replenishment time with. How many of you know the definition of a good friend is somebody that doesn't wear you out? Amen? When you're with them, you feel energized. You feel that they, they are contributing something into you and you're contributing something into them. Well, he, Jesus had three friends like that and they were siblings. Mary, Martha and Lazarus. They lived in a place called Bethany, which was an outer suburb of Jerusalem. And we see in the scriptures that Jesus visited their place often. They were in the realm of friends that you could just drop in and spend time with. Amen. Didn't have to get on your cell phone. Didn't have to send them a text saying, I'm coming around. I'm just coming around. I'm rocking up to the door. Ah, Jesus, come in. You know, I haven't been to Pack and Save this week, but come in anyway. You know, I haven't really got a lot in the cupboard, but come in anyway. And so Jesus comes in. Remember, Jesus never traveled alone. So his entourage of the others rocked up to Mary and Martha's house that day as well. And we see in the, in the passage that, that this was a time in Jesus' life where he was becoming more and more sought after. He had crowds of thousands that came to hear him preach. Everybody wanted a miracle. Everybody wanted a healing. He was just pressed and surrounded the whole time. Demand after demand on his life. So what does he do? It's replenishment time. I'm going to Martha and Mary's. I'm going to Lazarus' place. I'm going to chill out. Hallelujah. So he heads there. And uh, we can just uh, read from Luke 10, 38. And Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to the village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She got caught on the hop. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. I can imagine Jesus coming in the door. And uh, Martha's automatically gone into work mode. She's rushed off into the kitchen. But her spiritual sister, Mary, has gone straight into the lounge where Jesus is reclining, having a bit of a chill out, relaxing. And she's sitting at Jesus' feet. And so Martha's in there, and you might be familiar with this sound. She's starting to get annoyed. She's starting to get annoyed. And so she, she, first of all, she, she's thinking, where is that sister of mine? Doesn't she realize that I'm in here on my own? I've got to prepare a meal for Jesus and all the disciples. So she, she, she comes out and she sticks her head around the door and she gives her the look. You know the look? Look. 
over the top of Mary's head. She's completely oblivious to the look. She just carries on sitting at the feet of Jesus. So she does what some women do when they're busy in the kitchen. Next thing she does, she goes. You recognise that sound, ladies? Mary, hint, hint. <laughs> she gets so sick of it, next week she comes out. <laughs> Jesus, you tell her to help me. I can hear a few amens going on in the house this morning. She's clearly ticked off. <laughs> so she's there. And you look at what Jesus says to her. I mean, she asks a ridiculous question. Don't you care? This is the Lord of the universe who's come down from heaven. He's healing thousands. He's feeding thousands. She says, don't you care? Have you ever had a look at some of your prayers under the microscope sometimes? Lord, you don't care about me. I'm doing this, this, and this. Come on, friends. Let's think a bit more deeply about this question. <laughs> don't you care? What does Jesus say? He says this, Martha, Martha. You know what that's interpreted means? Chill out, sister. Martha, Martha. Easy does it, Martha. And then he makes an observation. This is his observation. This is, this is word for word in the Bible. You are worried and you are upset about many things. Wow. Let's just think about that for a moment. She's overwhelmed. She's feeling exhausted. She's feeling like I'm the only one in this. And I can just imagine Jesus, as he's doing that, he's just basically saying to her, you got too much on your mind, Martha. And then he says this, which I think is absolutely remarkable. He says, and he takes this moment, a, a, a teachable moment. And, and really, if you look at a paraphrase, he's, he says, few things are needed and indeed only one. Few things are needed. Okay, you're worried about all these things you think you need to be hospitable to me. Few things are needed, but there's only one thing that's really needed here in this whole equation today. He said, if I was going to paraphrase, I'd put it like this. Martha, you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off. And you're so busy 
trying to be hospitable to me. I want you to understand the one thing that I really came here for was not a five-star meal. You just remember, I, I just fed 5,000 people. If I really wanted a five-star meal, I could have just whipped it up. The real reason I've dropped in is because I want to spend time with you. I want to converse with you. I want us to sit down together and have fellowship. This is the one thing that is the most needful thing. Wow. Few things are needed. Indeed, only one. She was missing what mattered the most, but Mary got it. And you know what Jesus said to her? I'm not taking it away from her. I'm not taking it away from her because she got it. She got it. Can you imagine the weight of pressure from this, the look, the pots and the pans, the wooden spoon? Mary's going, nah, I, I ain't moving. I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus because I know this is the most important place for me to be right now in my life. This is what's going to give me wisdom. This is what's going to simplify my life. This is what I need right now. Wow, what a story that's really filled with the wisdom of God. And you know, it's a stark contrast because if you look in Luke's gospel, the passage before, he's just taught them about the parable of the Good Samaritan. What's the bottom line there? The parable of the Good Samaritan is that the spiritual ones walked straight past the guy that was in need and they didn't help when they could have helped. So it seems almost the opposite of what he's saying here to Martha. So what's he really saying? This is what he's really saying. He's saying, yes, there is a time when we all need to be the hands and feet of Jesus, but in all of your doings and your comings out and your going on, there's one thing that is needed that you need at some moment of your day to be sitting at my feet, because that's the one thing that I'm not going to take away from Mary because she hit the jackpot. She was doing it right. Wow. If we have a simple look at the picture I've got up on screen of the bucket, I want to ask you a question today. We can just move that along. What does it feel like when your energy bucket is full? When it's full to the fact that my cup runneth over. Oh, I like that. My cup runneth over. What do you feel like? For me, when my energy bucket's full, when my replenishment levels are high, I pray my best prayers. I have my best moments with God. I'm a better husband to be around my wife. I'm a better father around my kids. I've got more energy to do the things that God wants me to do because my cup runneth over. Wisdom has taught me to have oil in my lamp and not to run around empty and depleted thus ending up relying on my own strength. Whew. That's what I call full bucket living today. You know, it's horrible when you come to that realisation in your life, you've been so busy, you don't even have time for playtime anymore. Hey. It's a hard place to be, and don't you worry, I'm both 
the teacher and the student this morning. Because there's been lots of moments in my life where I've been on the other side of the equation and I've got to the point where I'm so depleted that I'm doing stuff out of my own strength. And I hate that. And I guess you hate it too. But the problem is if we don't stop at some point, it becomes the new norm. And we get desensitized. And we start living every day like that until it becomes a grind. And we feel ground down, don't we? And we get toxic. We get one of the things that, can, that, one of the things that happens uh, in our lives. And the, often the word that, uh, when I talk to people who are feeling depleted, you know what? One of the key words that comes out of their mouth is that they feel resentful. Resentful. And they start taking their resentment out on ones that love them the most and that are around them the most. And that resentment turns into poison. Martha was definitely resentful that day. Tell her to help me. So, what happens when this goes on in our lives? Well, here's some of the things that have happened in my life. We snap at our spouse. We can sometimes lose our temper, both at home and at work. We might kick the dog. Some of, some of us withdraw and we become passive. Some of us don't withdraw and we become angry. And we take it out on others. Some of us become loners. We don't want any other company. Some of us overeat, overdrink, overmedicate. Some of us overwork. This is one of my difficulties that I have. When I'm getting depleted, I just put my shoulder to the wheel and I go harder. What a dumb thing to do. And you know what else happens when I go harder and I see someone not working as hard as me? They're whistling their way down the corridor. I think, you come in here and I'll give you something to whistle about. You obviously haven't got enough work to do if you're whistling while you're working. I'll give you some work to do. Come here. <laughs> Whew, new revelation about Pastor James. <laughs> some of us over-rev. And we have as many plates as we can spinning on the end of our fingers, our head, our toes, everywhere else. And they're, they're, rev, they're, they're revolving at a great high speed and we're trying to keep everything afloat we know that just one of these things needs to go down and we all go down hello some of us escape into cheesy novels mills and boon <laughs> the movies or we waste hour upon hour just gawking gawking at the television just wasting so much of our time. Or, or, or we start getting cramp. We start getting cramp in our thumb from scrolling through Facebook and Pinterest and, and Instagram because we're just wasting so much of our time <laughs> on social media. Oh boy. Some of us overspend. I think I'll fix the way that I'm feeling. Shine the credit card up, head off to the mall, and spend money that you don't have, eh? to medicate the way that you're feeling. 
Some of us turn to pornography. You know, I sincerely believe that when people are at a low ebb in their life emotionally, they're lacking energy, and they're not in a healthy place to pursue intimacy with their spouse, then they take the easy way out. And they start looking at pornography. And then that takes them into the shadows and takes them further into a place of guilt, shame, and total depletion within their lives because they've got no oil in their lamp. They're depleted. They've got no energy to do it God's way, so they start doing it the devil's way. So, friends, I think safely to say that none of us are at our best when we're depleted. So I want to ask you what sort of things replenish you. You know, and before we can get replenished, we've got to understand that we need to fix the hole in the bucket. We need to patch up the holes in our lives that are causing us to get to that place of depletion because we shouldn't have got there in the first place, but we did get there. Why did we get there? Is it because you're an approval addict and you just have to please everyone around about your life and that means that you can't say no? So that drives you to insane hours and your life because you can't say no, which means that you're way too busy. Is it because you're afraid of rejection? We need to patch the holes in our bucket that are causing the depleted energy levels. We can't, friends, give what we don't have today. Amen? And Jesus is calling upon us to be givers. He's calling upon us to live an abundant life. He's calling upon us to have that spare oil in the tank. So when the voice of the bridegroom echoes, then we are able to stand up and we're able to shine our light because we got the oil in reserve. Amen? We're not foolish, but we're wise. And sometimes, friends, when you get depleted, it's tempting to start looking around for someone to pull you out. Or it's tempting for you to start blaming everybody else around you for your condition instead of taking responsibility for your own actions and realize that you didn't get here without your own help. <laughs> Amen? That's another word for that is repentance. You know what repentance is? Repentance is simply taking responsibility for your actions. That's all repentance is. I got myself in this place. I can say such and such did something and this person did something. But at the end of the day, it was me that got myself into the situation. So... To finish off this message today, here's a few simple things that have, have worked for me and that are in the scriptures for us to look at and on how we can replenish those buckets within our life. Don't worry, they're not long, and I'll just go through them. First one and the key one is connecting with God. Number one is connecting with God. Look at what happened to Jesus in Matthew 14, 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. He's just fed 5,000 men alone. They estimate the crowd was 15,000 that he actually fed that day. So he sends the disciples to the other side of the lake, right? And he, he dismisses the crowd. He's had a busy day. He's exhausted, no doubt. He's ministered. Look what he does next. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Friends, don't do what I do sometimes when you're, you, your, your to-do list is this long and you've only got this much hours left in the day and you just think, I've just got to work harder. I've just got to work longer. Uh-uh-uh-uh. What you need to do right at that point in, in that time is say, time out. 
I'm now going to get my life alone with God. And sometimes for some of you, you'll be struggling to do five minutes with God because you've got so much stuff going on in here. Your mind, your thought life, it's all over the place. And it's going to take you a few weeks to get control of this thing up here. Your mind, everything that's going on, take a pencil, take a piece of paper. And every time a thought pops into your mind, write it down. It's out of your mind. It's on the piece of paper so you can concentrate on God. Amen? And so here Jesus is. He's replenishing His Spirit. No doubt He's tired, but He gets energised spending time with the Father. He sends His disciples away because He knew that they'd just be wanting to debrief, debrief. They just want to suck it all out of Him. He's saying, no, no, you you boys go ahead. I'll come later on. And He's there alone with the Father. He dismisses everybody. He's all alone, Him and Father on their own. Hallelujah. You know, for me, I love connecting with God. And we all have different ways that we connect with God. And my way of connecting God is I love, I love the outdoors. I love nature. And so for me, most mornings, I'll get up early in the morning and I'll head off on about a five-kilometer walk. And I'll just, I'll just be talking to Daddy the whole time as I'll be praising, I'll be praying, I'll be walking. I know people in my neighborhood think I'm crazy. There's that guy talking to himself again as I go around the neighborhood. And, I, and, and, and as I'm doing that, sometimes I'm just walking and I'm just talking and then I just hear, I just hear the Father saying, I love you, James. Oh, I love you, James. Oh, when I hear that, it just, my tank just gets replenished as I hear the whisper of the Father's love booming in my spirit and I can go from I can go from 10% up to 80% as I hear the clear voice of the father telling me how much he loves me friends we've got to find a connection with God this is true wisdom that's the first thing the second thing is family you know some say oh you don't know my family they ain't gonna replenish me mate (laughs) you know family means different things to all of us your family aren't necessarily your flesh and blood. Your family are those that are just easy to spend time with. Your family are those that you feel close to. That's your family. And as you spend time with them, you get replenished. You get, you get your tanks filled up. But, you know, I, I love spending time with my wife. We work together. We've worked together. We've been in the ministry now 29 years. We're now in our 30th year of ministry. So next April will be 30 years in the ministry that we've worked together side by side in the ministry. I give God all the praise for that. But you know, some guys say, man, I would have been divorced a long time ago if I had to work with my wife every day for 30 years. Don't you ever need a break from each other? Yeah, we do. We do sometimes. Go away. (laughs) Have some self time. But, you know, we've got to learn this, friends. We can't, we can't put in our partners in the place of God. That's reserved for one person, and that's Jesus. Sometimes we cling to each other. You know, if you're married today, we cling to each other to the point that, you know, God can't even get in because you're just there all the time. You need to give them some God space. Give them some breathing space. I have three beautiful sons. Bible says in Psalm 127, verse 3, children are a gift from God. And you know, it's, at times I've thought, some kind of gift, God. <laughs> uh, 
One of them never, one of them nearly drove me to a nervous breakdown. You have any kids like that or are your kids all angels? Angels have angelic kids that float around the house and do the vacuuming and the dishes and all the chores for you and they're wonderful beings of creation. But my tank gets filled up when I'm with my sons. You know, we love sport, we love action. We, 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 we get on well together, and I love spending time. And if I'm too busy for my own family, I'm too busy, friends. I need replenishment time with my family. Third thing is satisfying work. I don't know what planet you live on, Pastor James, but you know, some of us have got to, you know, go to work for a living. You know, not like these pastors that only have to stand up and preach on Sundays, you know. They just, you know, sleep in for the rest of the week and go overseas on vacations all the time, you know. And all these missions trips, they're only kidding you because they're not really missions trips. They're just an excuse to, you know, get a passport and go overseas. <laughs> honestly, friends, I've had some people that honestly believe that about pastoral work. If they could have a look at my wife and I's week and just say that, then they would think twice about the sort of life that we live. But I love my job. I've been doing it now for nearly 30 years. And I love what I do. And sure, I get depleted sometimes because I'm, I'm going outside the zone of God's strength and I'm slipping into my own. And that's when it gets hard work. You know, but by and large, I love my job. Do you have a job that sat is satisfying for you? Do you have a purpose in your life that is replenishing your tanks because you love what you do? And it may be today that you need to think, well, I'm only doing it for a paycheck. I'm only doing it for paycheck and sundown. I can't wait for the end of the day to finish. And sure, there's, there's plenty of seasons in our life where we have to get work, where we just need meat, ends meet. Because we live in an economy and we live in a world in which it's not always a reality at all times to be always doing something that you love. But I want you to question yourself and I want you to ask yourself, what are your needs versus your wants? Because sometimes we're living at a level that we don't necessarily have to because of our wants, not because of our needs. And your life could be a lot less complicated if you were living for your needs and not for your wants. Honestly, did you know that if you own a car, you are in the top 5% in the world of material wealth? We think, oh, that's, I got two. But we live in a blessed land. We live in an amazing country. The rest of the world doesn't live like we do in Aotearoa. I can tell you that right now. 95% of the world's population, many of them don't even own a car. They might drive one for work, but they don't, have, they own, they don't own one. Ecclesiastes 5.18, a modern translation says this, it is good and proper for people to find satisfaction, replenishment in their labour. Amen. If your job is draining you from day to day, from week to week, and you're just getting an attitude, you're just full of resentment, you're getting toxic in your spirit, it's driving you nuts, then you either need to seriously get recalibrated in the presence of Jesus, which will make your job a lot nicer to live with. Or maybe you need to reconsider what you're doing in your vocation. Hello, is anybody out there this morning? 
You know, God in His love for you, He would love for your job to be a bucket filler, not a bucket drainer. Amen. Fourthly, and second to lastly today, recreation. The word recreation literally means to recreate energy and vitality in your inner person. That means if you don't have some kind of recreation, you're not recreating within yourself. I saw photos of Helen Aloyai yesterday at, at, at a competition, at a bodybuilding competition. I took one look at her abs and I thought, oh, I wish I could have some like that. <laughs> but you know what? Wishes don't make six packs. <laughs> it's called hard work and training. But you know why Helen's doing it? Because she loves it. It energizes her life. Yes, it is discipline. It is hard work. It is difficult. But when you find something that you love, it recreates within you. And suddenly you have vitality and energy. Some of you might know, but I ride big motorbikes. So I have a 1,000cc V-twin, V-strom. That's the name of my bike. And when I get on that bike, trying to obey the laws of the land, Except when I get some funny envelopes that come in the mailbox at times. It recreates within me. I get energised out of it. I've taken it on the track at Pukekohe. 200 kilometres per hour up the back straight. <sighs> move on, move on. Sorry, sorry. Hey, but that's what does it for me. What recreates for you? Might be sewing. <laughs> you just love that needle and thread and the smell of cotton. <sighs> I'm getting energized. <laughs> it might be tiddlywinks. I don't know what it is for you. But you need to find something that recreates within your life. And lastly, but not leastly, this morning, replenish your soul with exercise and sleep. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, For bodily exercise profits little. It's talking in the context of godliness profiting much. So the Bible says that exercise is still on the profit side of the equation. And the older that you get, the more important it is. You know, 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I was 12 kgs heavier than I am today. That's a lot of, if you put that into pounds of butter, that's about carrying around 15, 16 extra pounds of butter on me every day. That depletes you. That depletes you. And I'm not having a go at anyone here. I'm just talking basic science and biological facts today. And so my wife wanted to go to Weight Watchers. So I went to be a support to her. And then a certain woman sitting in the congregation who will not be named today for sake of confidentiality who works for Weight Watchers said to me, she's doing it for, you, for her, you need to do it for you. I'm thinking, no, I'm here to support my wife. She said, oh, actually, you might need to support yourself. <laughs> so 
So praise God, I shared 12 kgs. Went with it with purpose, with vision, with vigour. My staff, the previous church I worked for, they hated me. I was going in there, every smoker, and saying, oh, you shouldn't be eating that, you should be eating this. The big know-it-all. <laughs> I was in the zone. I was getting re-energised. <laughs> but friends, exercise and having a body that's not going to run out of energy in your life is so vital to what God has called you to do. Not only that, it gives you great, much better mental health within your life. You're able to control your thought life a lot better because you've got the energy. You know, the experts have done numerous studies, and I can get um, sites and quotations for this, but exercise and proper rest patterns, this is what they do. They increase your energy by 20%. 20%. Some studies say more. So a minimum 20% if you're, if you're exercising, you're sleeping properly, and you're eating properly, it can radically change your life. Psalm 127 verse 2 says this, It is vain for you to rise up early, to take rest late, in other words, you're work, being a workaholic, to eat the bread of toil, for he gives unto his beloved sleep. And all of us know that when we're doing the long hours, it is so hard to calibrate your sleep patterns. And it can be incredibly painful. If you turn up to work and you've had three or four hours sleep, if you're not getting, any, if you're not getting seven hours or more sleep a night, then you're immediately in the de-energized zone. You're immediately in a difficult place where you're going to find it impossible to replenish yourself. And so you need to do something about it today. As we finish off this morning, can I ask you to take an action step this week? I want you to get a piece of paper and a pen and I want you to draw a bucket and then I want you to ask yourself the question, where is my line on the bucket? I want you to be honest. Pray before you do so you don't lie to yourself. <laughs> and ask yourself, where is the line of my energy levels in the bucket? And draw that line. And then, wherever that line is, you may be high-flying right now. You might be just going for it. You might be just completely energised. Very few of us are living with our bucket running over. Many of us are at half or less in our lives. And we're really living from a place of depletion. Could we stand together this morning? Thank you, Holy Spirit.